You're listening to the British Ballers, a fantasy football astronauts podcast. Before we begin the show today, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Expand the Box Score the number one sports statistics database on the internet. Expand the Box Score provides all the advanced data, stats, and production metrics to give you the edge in fantasy, dynasty, and DFS. We highly recommend heading over to expandtheboxscore.com and signing up today. Use our promo code ASTRO10 for a 10% discount on the subscription, making this an absolute steal. We'll now begin the show. Welcome to episode 10 of the British Ballers podcast. I'm your host today, Kev. You can follow me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Goat. Unfortunately, there's no Rich today. Now, he says he's unwell, but I think he's secretly deep in preparation for the British Ballers Listener League that starts this weekend. Either way, get well soon, mate, and we look forward to your return in the near future. But moving on from Rich, because we don't really want to think about him, with me today, we've got an amazing guest on our pod. He's got a fantastic podcast himself, which I've learned a great deal from listening to the different theories and strategies. And he's a guy with um, amazing knowledge as well. So I'd like to welcome on Scott Connor. And you can find him on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. He's a writer over at DLF, the host of the Dynasty and Chill podcast and the co-host of Chasing the Helmet podcast. So, first of all, I'd just like to thank you for coming on, Scott. I understand it's morning where you are in the world at the moment, and how are you feeling today? Kev, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, it's a little early here, uh, but you know what? <laughs> it was we, we planned this out for a little while to do this episode, and really happy to be here. Uh, very interesting topics lined up for the show, and yeah, looking forward to diving into it. That's, that's one of the things I... I Dynasty Theory. Uh, I've been on their podcast a couple times, but really, that's that's my bread and butter is treating Dynasty like a math problem and very, approaching it from a very logical sense. So we'll get into some of that uh, in this show. But just glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Thank you, Scott. And it's a it's a superb show we've got lined up today, and you've added to the show sheet as well as what we set up initially. So uh, we are keeping to a recent theme of focusing on improving Dynasty teams. On the last podcast, we looked at players that are great options for win-now teams, but today we're going to do the flip of that and look at the ideal buys for Dynasty teams currently in a rebuild phase. We'll, uh, we'll jump straight in today with the quarterback position. Scott, who's your first quarterback you'd be targeting in a Dynasty rebuild? My first one that I put on here, and, and honestly, it, it's difficult to target specific quarterbacks in a rebuild because obviously you're going you're gonna to want to go after you know, the, the really young elite guys. And I throw Joe Burrow in there, who right now I think is pretty comfortably the quarterback seven in Dynasty. You just look at some of the other guys around him, Josh Allen, Carson Wentz. You know, there's a little bit more risk with those guys. Um, so I think Burrow's 
pretty comfortably going to slot in there and he's he's going to almost guarantee start for five years so aside from going after those guys the problem with them is depending on your format depending on how many starters you have in your league it's difficult to oftentimes try to buy one of those big six elite quarterbacks and it's obviously difficult to buy burrow this year especially if the draft has already happened the person that took him at 101 took him you know probably over some really really good running backs. so it's hard to buy those guys so really what I'm looking for, if you just take, you know, any ADP list, there's a big gap between, I think, the top six, and then I'll throw Burrow in there and everybody else. Uh, but then they kind of all blend together, and I'm trying to evaluate these guys not only for their their scoring, but I'm trying to evaluate them based on well, what am I buying? You know, if I'm buying somebody, you know, like Drew Locke, for instance, I'm buying a little bit of risk. You know, he's certainly younger than a lot yeah. of the other guys that are around him. But, you know, if you're buying somebody like him or Sam Darnold, I think you're buying a little bit of risk that they, you know, they don't end up with a job in a couple of years. So I put Kirk Cousins down as a guy that the, the oh, good thing know. about Kirk Cousins is, you know, you kind of know what he is, right? I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's never going to probably be a, a guy that can be a top five quarterback. Uh, but you may be able to get a couple more seasons of low end quarterback one, high quarterback two. Um, and honestly, he's – He's signed for two more years after this year. They gave him a two-year extension. So he's locked into three years as a starter. And if you look at a lot of the other guys around him, you can't say that about them. No, that's brilliant. I com- I'm completely on board with Kirk Cousins as a as a buy now for uh, Dynasty teams in a rebuild. I think, like you said, he's a, he's a really steady asset. He's been a top 15 QB the last five years. And he's got that secure starting job, like you mentioned, the next two years at least. So... I guess the, the really important thing in a rebuild is that you've got some certainty, something that um, you don't have to really look at. You can sort of forget and you can just stick him in your lineup and focus um, a lot of your attention elsewhere and just sort of let Cousins tick along and, and help you in that, in that process. Yeah, and I think you, you look at some other guys that are around him too. I mean, you have, I mentioned Darnold, um, you know, but there's guys that are a little bit higher than him in terms of perceived value. But you look at Matthew Stafford, he's 32. You know, Matthew Stafford is probably a little bit of an enhanced version of Kirk Cousins, but I think he's more expensive. His ADP has rised almost 15% uh, since the end of the season because there was that narrative, if you remember, that Matthew Stafford, well, he got injured again, and how long is he yeah. going to last? People kind of bantered around that he might be one of these guys that retires a little early because he's made a lot of money in his career and how long is he going to last? So his value actually dropped, but it's risen back up to the point where, you know, now a lot of people are talking about what he did last year in eight games. You know, he could be a guy that's a high end quarterback one uh, from a year to year basis. So he costs a little bit more. And I look at, I'd like to get your take on this, but I look at guys like Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Drew Locke, Cam Newton, Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Darnold, uh, you could probably tell a story where a lot of uh, a lot of those guys aren't starters in three years. Yeah. Whereas I think Cousins is going to be. So you could you could also this sounds strange, but you could also make an argument for like Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers as being potential targets if you can get them at the right price. Because I'm pretty confident that as long as Aaron Rodgers is in the NFL, he's going to be a starter. And you know that does that mean you really want to have him on a rebuild team? I don't know, but he's only 36. I, I don't see yeah. a way where his value expiration would be because he retires. And I'm pretty sure those guys are going to start as long as they're in the league. So you may get five more years out of both of them. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there when when you mentioned about the, the QB tiers. After that top six, anything from sort of seven to mid-20s potentially 
it's all really all really similar scores are going to give you. So rather than going for somebody um, that's going to be a bit more pricey towards the top or somebody a little bit more risky with with the age in the middle, like you mentioned, your, your Drew Locks, etc. Um, yep. Cousin, Cousins is just really steady for you. And he has got that, that them the ceiling as well to really produce and be a QB1, which would be really nice at his current, um, current, current cost of QB20 at DLF. So um, you did mention one guy there, Aaron Rodgers. And that really brings me on to our, our, uh, your next person, I guess, uh, your next QB buy for um, teams in a rebuild. Yeah, I put down Jordan Love as a quarterback for a rebuild. This is a little bit more of a expected answer or a typical answer for a rebuilding team. You know, he's he's quarterback 34 in ADP, and it is interesting if you look historically at some of the quarterbacks that were that were drafted in a similar range to him. The, the hit rate on them, and when I say hit rate, meaning you know, do they end up putting up a top 12 season once in their career, which I think is a little bit lofty. You know, the yeah. The problem with the hit rate stuff is when you when you're taking Jordan Love or you are in a rookie draft, you know super flex drafts. He's going late second round this year in 12 team leagues. What are you really expecting? And I'm kind of looking at it. I didn't take a lot of shares of Jordan Love. I mean, I'm in a lot of leagues. Yeah. I didn't take enough shares only because I really liked. I mean, I really liked the players that were going around in that range. You know, the the mid to late second. You either had like. Brian Edwards or Antonio Gibson, LaVisca Chenault, you know, there was a couple day two running backs in there too, yeah. AJ Dillon, Darrington Evans. So like there, there's, there's good profiles in there. And it, it did turn me off a little bit to say, well, we don't know when Jordan Love is going to start. You know, he, he truly could be a guy that sits for at least two years and, you know, but then you kind of circle back and you think it's a guarantee he's going to get a chance, right? Like, yeah. With, yeah. So if you're able to hold him for whenever that time could be, I've heard people talk about that it could be just one more year that he could start going into 2021 and who knows what Green Bay is going to do with Rodgers. But I guess I just look at him, his current cost, if you have the roster space, if you have deep enough rosters and, you know, you can kind of just stomach sitting there and waiting for a couple of years, it's almost a, a lock guarantee that his value is going to rise. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're a rebuilding team, so taking Jordan Love, he's, he's not going to start this season, but you know that you can afford to wait. You're not going to be contending for a couple of years, so it does really fit in nicely with the sort of time scale you're looking at. And um, you rightly said that he's got that first-round draft capital, so it's a guarantee he's going to get a chance at some point. And even if it gets that point and there's an opportunity to uh, for him to start, there will be a, a chance for to be able to sell him as well um, because mm-hmm. as soon as you've got a starter in Superflex you can pretty much move that guy and more, more often than not you can usually get a first rounder for any starting QB in a Superflex mm-hmm. league. Um, I like Jordan Love as an ideal QB4 just because I like to have a QB3 that will make some spot starts uh, uh, for my fantasy team in the season. Um, so I'll just ask you the question regarding Jordan Love. Um, would you be comfortable with him as your QB3 or would you prefer to have him sort of on a QB4 or deeper on your roster? Well, I mean, I think if you're truly rebuilding, then you're really not looking short-term at what my tiers of quarterbacks look like. You're really just trying to collect future talent. And I do think that next year's next year's rookie class, I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but 
I do think that there's going to be a couple quarterbacks that come in next year. Right now, obviously, you have Lawrence and Fields, and then Trey Lance as well, and then a few others. So this this is going to be, I think, a typical quarterback class next year where the, the top elite ones are going to be difficult to get. Uh, the 2022 rookie class uh, actually looks pretty good at quarterback at this point. And I think it just drives home a deeper point that there's a lot more quarterback turnover than we usually anticipate. You know, and it, I think it's only enhanced now where I talked about this on my show uh, a couple times is I don't think these teams, because they draft a guy in the first round, they're tied to them for nearly the same commitment that they were before. You know, I, I don't yeah. think we're going to see a lot of, you know, gone are the days where we're going to see the Derek Carrs and Andy Daltons where they get moderate contract extensions and teams stick with them for six, seven, eight years without them being guys that are even in the top half of their position. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the same thing with, you know, we saw it with Winston. We saw it with Mariota. We're probably going to see it with Trubisky where th these guys may last as fringe starters for their rookie contract, but then the team is not afraid to let them go. There's not going to be this internal pressure to re-sign some of these guys. So my overall point is, you may look at your rebuild team and say, you know what, I'm pretty set at quarterback because I have Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and Jordan Love. I'm good for the next three years. But then you get to the time in three years where you're ready to make a run for the championship and your quarterbacks may be in pieces. You know, you yeah. may be having to scrap them together because there's a whole bunch of new names. I mean, go back and look at the ADP from three years ago. And I think there's nine guys in the top 20 that, that haven't either don't have jobs right now or, you know, like Derek Carr, where you, you really aren't sure what their future is year to yeah. year. So I yeah. just think more turnover at the quarterback position. So I'm kind of taking the approach. If I'm truly rebuilding a team, I'm almost not even looking at what I have. You know, clearly there's guys to sell like Breeze and Brady and whatnot. But, yeah, you know, I, I'm really kind of just having to start over. And, and knowing that I'm going to need to hit on one or two in the rookie draft and at least, you know, hit the clock, reset like you could on a guy like Burrow or Tua or even Justin Herbert. I think it's a really good point you make about when you're in a rebuild that you don't necessarily need that QB3. I think a lot of the leagues I'm in where you've got your 12, 14 teams, there's half a league without a QB3 that's a starter anyway. So um, you make a great point about that you don't necessarily need that guy, especially if it's going to benefit you to maybe lose a game or two and get those better, better draft mm -hmm. picks in the, uh, in the uh, short term. Um, it's funny you mentioned Derek Carr. That brings me nicely onto a guy that, um, I'm going to highlight, his name actually came up then as well, but I thought with no Rich on the show today, I could sneak this guy in, um, as I know Rich isn't a big fan of his, even though I did take him in the Scott Fishbowl. So a QB I'd like to put forward as a buy for rebuilding teams is Max Mariota. Now, um, sort of before we dig into Mariota, I just want to say that on QBs, you're looking for guys that you can buy now and sell for a profit are guys that you think have got potential to contribute longer term. Now, I am a bit of a Mariota truther, so I'm biased on this one, but I think he could be either of those. I believe he's poised to get a starting shot this season um, based on the Raiders' schedule at the start. It's really rough beginning the, the play away at Carolina for a new coach, then the play New Orleans, uh, away at New England, Buffalo, and then Kansas so far, playoff teams on the trot. I could easily see them at 1-4, and 1-5 at the bye week. And we know that Gruden's a big fan of Mariota. I feel that that would be an ideal spot to drop him in after the bye week. He has got a contract that's one of the highest paid 
backups in the league. And being an analytics guy, I believe that talent, he's got a superb college profile. Um, one of the best ever college quarterbacks, I'd say, as well. And he has been a QB1 in fantasy points per game in 2016. I just feel that he's never been utilised in the right way, the right system. Um, so even if you disagree with the Mario selection, the, the common theme is to to target backup quarterbacks with a clear path for me because you can always sell them on when they do get the opportunity. Um, and you only need to start to be a viable Superflex quarterback. So what are your thoughts on Mariota in Dynasty as a whole? Well, I mean, this this question perfectly goes into our discussion of our next question about backup quarterbacks. So I'll kind of combine the two answers. You know, I think this is a process over players uh, point with backup quarterbacks, especially this upcoming season. Uh, Mariota fits the bill, and there's a couple others that I would throw in there as well. You're talking about these high leverage backup quarterbacks that are either in systems where whoever the quarterback is that's going to play in a given week is going to be somebody that you probably could play in fantasy uh, or guys that are in ambiguous quarterback situations where, you know, if the starter is benched or goes down, you know, you kind of have an adequate backup to throw in there. So I would throw Mariota in there. Uh, and then, you know, there's a couple other guys that I would put in there that I, I think are also buys. And the problem is, We'll talk a little bit about how to buy somebody like Mariota. Uh, I would throw Andy Dalton in there as well. You know, if, if there's ever a week where you can say, hey, he's the starter for Dallas, that's a great offense wow, to potentially yeah. throw him in there. I mean, that, that's one I want to try to get on as many teams because, you know, we don't know what this, you know, COVID-19 season is going to look like. You know, a guy could yeah. – Dak Prescott could go out for a couple games. And then, you know, Andy Dalton is a guy you'd feel comfortable starting given all the weapons and the offense that they have. Um, Nick Mullins is another one. Every quarterback under Shanahan in a given week, I think, is a guy that you could maybe throw in there in a super flex spot. Uh, so just kind of that process of, hey, this year I do – because we haven't had a lot of time um, – well, go back a little bit. Because we haven't had a lot of new information in this time period, you know, we haven't had OTAs or mini camps. We're really not going to get a, a lot of information from the next month or so either, maybe just some training camp hype but we're not going to really see anything in preseason because there isn't going to be one. So I've kind of shifted away from, you know, I typically don't carry backup quarterbacks into the off season. You know, I usually drop most of them going into the off season because I want to make room for, you know, waiver wire pickups or players that change teams in free agency. Uh, but I've kind of gone through and said, I'm dropping some of the, you know, the, the undrafted free agent players that I picked up or some of yeah. my fourth, fifth round rookie picks uh, or maybe something like a, you know, some receivers that are really, really on the back end, guys that may be able to contribute. But, I, you know, I would rather have Robert Griffin is another one that, I mean, yeah, he burned a lot of people with his injuries. But if he ever got a two or three game stretch in Baltimore, you could see him putting up, you know, some quarterback two weeks as well. Yeah. So yeah. I've kind of shifted to I go through my leagues and I'll look. Is Nick Mullins on the waiver wire? Is Robert Griffin on the waiver wire? Jeff Driscoll for Denver, is he on the waiver wire? I'll add those guys just because I kind of want to go into this season with, you know, six or seven quarterbacks, my starters, and then a couple guys that, hey, if they ever got the opportunity, um, I, I'd be, feel comfortable throwing them in there. So any thoughts on that? Because I think that's an important uh, thing you can do now before everyone else starts to catch up. Yeah, you make a brilliant point about adding QBs for the – the back-end rookies that you probably would like to wait and see what happens, but with everything that's going on in the world, these guys have probably got less of a chance of hitting straight away. Um, right. I think as well, um, 
the leagues that you play in, you, you ideally want to be having decent commissioners where they're giving these extra spots out uh, in the, the current pandemic. And I think it's a really wise move to be focusing on the QBs if you get given an extra five roster spots, for example. Um, one guy that's quite interesting that makes me makes me laugh a little bit is Jeff Driscoll. I think he could get a shot this season if, if Locke flames out, um, which is very possible based on the Broncos got a lot of moving parts on their on their offense and shortened off season. So um, Jeff Driscoll would be another guy to throw out there as a as a potential uh, deeper guy in uh, in, the, in your in your dynasty leagues. Yep. Super. So we'll come on to the rebuilding uh, running back options now. So who's your first uh, running back or is there a running back? Yeah, I mean, I uh, when I got this question, you know, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, there's no such thing as a rebuilding running back. And, you know, I, I, I kind of put in there that we're always rebuilding at the running back position. And anyone that's listened to me over the last year or two has, you know, sometimes I get a lot of disagreements with my running back rankings. And, you know, I've said it before, the, the risk of a rookie running back that's already in the place where let's just call Akers, Swift, Dobbins this year, really the only risk for those guys, they've already checked the draft capital boxes. They've already checked the profile box. It's really just, are they good players? Are we confident that they're going to be good players? And if we are, I don't see a reason why we can't rank those guys, you know, inside the top 12 to top 15 for dynasty. And that may be a little backwards. Because people will say, well, you know, I, I think a guy like Austin Eckler could have a huge season, and he's signed to a four-year contract. And then same thing with some other guys that you still think are good players that should have big 2020s, like uh, Kenyon Drake, Aaron Jones. But just from a process standpoint, I think that the, the rookie running backs, if you can get as many rookie running backs, if I'm rebuilding, I'm not looking more than three years out on running backs. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is it's really hard – would you agree that it's really hard to predict who the next Christian McCaffrey is or who the next Derrick Henry is? You know, you're talking about guys that are going to be viable past their rookie contracts. And yeah, to me, yeah. those are harder yeah, to predict. Yeah. You know, you, you, you may be able to get, you might say that Jonathan Taylor is very similar to Ezekiel Elliott or Derrick Henry, that maybe that guy can last for seven years and he's going to get a contract extension, you know, when he gets to his fourth year. Hard to predict that though. So you really have to look at running backs and say, what's their rookie contract? How long is it going to last? And how many cheap years can I buy? So, you know, I, I would say I'm trying to get my hands on if I'm rebuilding, I'm clearly trying to move the Kenyon Drakes, the Aaron Jones, the Leonard Fournette's, the guys that don't have really any security past this year. And, and I think they're good players. I think actually with the next couple running back classes coming in, 2021 is a really, to me, a kind of a blah running back class. Yeah. And so I do think we're going to see, I'm pretty confident that Cook, Mixon, Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Kenyon Drake, even if they change teams, right? I'm pretty confident that they're going to land in a place that really doesn't hurt their, their dynasty value. People just get a little scared off because they're, they're not predictable. You know, you don't know where that's going to be. You're not yeah. really sure who's going to get squeezed out. So you get a little leery of what their value is. Uh, but yeah, if I'm rebuilding and I have a bunch of these guys, you know, if I have a Mixon or a Cook uh, or even even Nick Chubb, we're going to deal with it next year with Nick Chubb. He's going to be in the same situation. I'm actually fine with moving off of those guys for the Akers, the Swifts, the Dobbins. It's probably hard to get Edward Hilaire and Taylor already with those two, but 
yeah, I'm fine with kind of moving off of, you know, a year four or year five or even a year three running back uh, and just hitting the reset button. And, and it may have to be straight up. You know, it, if you have DeAndre Swift, are you really rushing to trade him for Dalvin Cook? I mean, you're, you're really not. A lot of people aren't. So it's hard to get more than that. And I think it, there's just a value gap there where if you have Dalvin Cook, you're like, man, this guy's a top five, top six running back. I need more than I need DeAndre Swift and a first rounder to trade him. But that's that's just not the market because there's not a lot of teams that are looking to do that uh, in leagues right now. They'd rather just have the rookie because they know rookie running backs hit faster than everything else. So it's just, it's a process thing at running back where you kind of just want to get younger before the market does. Yeah. I think you've made a great point there that pivoting from sort of the older running back to a younger running back and getting extra parts for your, your dynasty roster is really important. It's, it's a simple and it's a really effective plan. Um, and you can do that with literally any any running back from from their second third season in the league, I guess, where you can just get a little bit younger and you're just gaining years for um, for the future, especially when you don't need to win now. Um, is he any other any other guys that you'd be interested in as sort of a, a deeper deeper selection, maybe as throw-ins in trades, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned some other names that a lot of times the the running back market in a given league can be so volatile. You know, it, it sometimes is very, very difficult to move running backs in leagues because people either overvalue them or, you know, they have a similar process to me. You know, I, I've run into a lot of leagues where, I, and I don't know if people have necessarily listened to me, but I, I do try those moves where, you know, I had one league where I had, I had Nick Chubb and Joe Mixon, and I actually tried to get the 101 for, those straight up so I can hit the reset button and try to just you know I don't want to have two guys that I think could be very volatile in the next year or two so I said I'll keep one of them and then try to get Jonathan Taylor and replace you know one of them and I offered it straight up and the guy said you know what he even said that he 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 prefers Taylor over those two yeah wow (laughs) that's, that's not what the market says but you know he may have he wasn't a very good team so he's looking at it from like well you know, if Jonathan Taylor is going to be mixing or Chubb in a year or two, then what's the point of making the move? He doesn't have any skin in the game this year. I don't think he's going to try to contend this year. So it just didn't make sense to take on those extra years. So if you can't make moves around these running backs, sometimes they're really hard to acquire. I still have my guys that I'm interested in going out there and buying. Um, you know, two that come to mind, Rashad Penny and Royce Freeman, well, were two guys from the 2018 class that haven't worked out. Uh, Royce Freeman, I just wrote an article for him on DLF that I'm I, just looking more into the backfield situation last year. He really was not a fit for what Denver wanted to do uh, with yeah. their zone running game. So if he were to change teams, I would be interested in him as being a guy that could step right in and maybe be a next man up for another roster. Uh, and then Rashad Penny, you know, he's kind of forgotten. And I'm sure, Kev, you've heard the narrative that he's going to start on the pup list, right? Has yeah, to, like, yeah. Every single podcast mentioned that <laughs> over the last two months. He has, yeah. And, and what does that really mean? First of all, there, there is a preseason, you know, there's a training camp pup list, which does not mean you're going to miss games. But even if he starts the season on the pup list and he's out for six weeks, you know, and then he doesn't come back until midseason, you know, the, the Seattle backfield is still completely up in the air going yeah. forward. And so – and that's the guy you can literally get as a throw in that you could look up next year and he's the starter. You know, he has to get healthy, but you know, they just traded two first rounders yesterday for Jamal Adams. So yeah, I, you know, that could be a guy you could buy super cheap. Benny Snell is another one. 
the Steelers, I, nobody in fantasy loves Benny Snell. They, they all think he's, he's bad. He's terrible. He shouldn't really be a guy that's relevant. I'm a Kentucky fan, but that has nothing to do with it. The Steelers <laughs> love the Steelers love Benny Snell, and he is exactly he is exactly what he is. If James Conner goes out, I don't think they feel bad giving Benny Snell like two or three games where he just carries the ball like 20, 25 times, and that's it. Like he's not going to get any work when there's a full backfield, and he certainly is probably just a backup going forward. So he's he's very similar to like Jamal Williams, where he's yeah. going to be there, you know, may get couple carries a game but his true value is hey there's two or three weeks where I can start him and there's nobody else in the way and the Steelers feel comfortable giving that work so Benny Snell Duke Johnson being long-winded with the running backs but if you can buy anybody kind of on the back end after their value has peaked or after the community has already like given up on them I'm fine adding those guys in a rebuild for exactly what you said with Mariota if any one of these guys hits for you know a couple startable weeks this year where it's like hey Royce Freeman looks like he's going to start this week you can definitely trade him during the season uh, for more than what you paid just because running backs are in such demand I love that list Scott that's a great list I'm a huge fan of both Royce Freeman and Rashad Penny and I'll just go through those players that you mentioned then so Royce Freeman obviously he's shown that ability to be a pass blocker and a pass catcher and like you said, he wasn't the best fit for that scheme last season. Um, so I think he's a definite hold. And imagine if he ended up traded to a team such as, I don't know, the Eagles, for example. I think he'd, um, I think he'd smash there. Um, Rashad Penny, I do love this guy, that recent video of him um, working out. He looks pretty pretty healthy to me. And like I said, the, the Seahawks backfield, it's a fluid situation. Before he got injured, he was... He was showing signs that he'd, he'd sort of turned the corner and he was going to make a real push for Chris Carson's job and then unfortunately got that season ending injury. So completely on board with that. And, and like you mentioned with Duke Johnson, love his talent. He's been in an RB1 before. Will he get the chance in uh, Houston? Even if David Johnson goes down, I'm not sure because you can't really trust Bill O'Brien. But I do love that talent and that upside if, if things were to break his way. Um, one guy that I wasn't sure of which you've gone through was Benny Snell. Uh, I was I was kind of struggling to see sort of where, where he would fit in, but you explained it perfectly regarding um, coming in and really taking kind of spot if and when he gets injured because he, he does seem to be um, getting banged up every every season. And you make a great point. The Steelers, I've heard the same, that they really like Benny Snell and that, uh, he is the clear backup. It's not some sort of competition with uh, McFarland and Samuels. It's it's he's the clear backup, and I think the way that franchise is set up as well with that elite defense. If he was to come in, I think they'd really pound him, and uh, he, he could do a real good job for a few weeks for your for your dynasty team. Yep, exactly. So I'll give you my running back for uh, rebuilding teams, and I'm going to go for Chase Edmonds. Now, I love Kenyon Drake uh, above ADP, so he's my running back 7 in redraft and running back 14 in dynasty. But he's not a 300-touch type of guy. He's only had 600 touches in his career, which is four seasons. And he is, uh, he's better when he's fresh because he's more explosive. So even if, even if Drake plays full season, I can see a nice split for Chase Edmonds, maybe 30% of the work. And that's an offense that's got improving volume um, with the defense getting better. And also the addition of new Hopkins, it's going to allow that team to really sustain drives, stay on the field and improve that volume. 
And then you've got to think, what happens if Kenyon Drake gets injured? We saw that with uh, with last season, Chase Edmonds came in for one start and he was the RB1 in fantasy for that week, 35 points, three touchdowns, 29 touches. Uh, and he's under contract for two more seasons, so he's got that extra year over Drake should should he flash the mind, uh, keep, keep him on and maybe use him in a committee next season with more of a, of a workload. Um, so for this, I'd be, I'd be buying the run, running back with a, already a role in the offense with more potential for something to happen should Drake go down injured. And he, he really fits the mold for a rebuilding team where there's a likely increase in value both this season and along the term. And we've also got to think that running backs tend to hit early but also fade early. So if he if he does get the opportunity, there's always an opportunity to to sell him and move him on should he end up in the starting lineup for a, a, a longer period than expected. So where do you stand on Chase Edmonds as a buying dynasty? I love it. I, I have a lot of Chase Edmonds shares in dynasty for the exact reason. And it, again, this is, I, I tweet this out a lot and I'll say this is a, a good process move that you can insert almost anybody into uh, the, the place where you're putting in Chase Edmonds or whoever I listed earlier. But I think that, you know, you can look at specifically the Chase Edmonds situation. I do think he's going to get a little more work than people anticipate. And it's very similar to maybe not the true like 60-40 split like we saw, but uh, if you remember Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, yeah. And if Chase Edmonds is good enough to stand alone, you know, he may be very similar to that, but it doesn't cost you the same. You know, even Tevin Coleman, when he was the, the 40% in that backfield, you know, he cost probably a late first, early second round pick to go and buy because everyone anticipated that eventually he's going to hit free agency and his value is going to go up. Uh, and it, I think that kind of happened, but he also hit free agency at a bad time where running backs were not getting paid at all. So it was yeah. very disappointing that he only ended up getting, you know, like $5 million a year or something. So there, there wasn't that investment where it looked like, okay, he's going to be an absolute value riser. But I, I think this is just a deeper conversation this year. How many running backs are going to miss games? I mean, either due to injury or positive COVID tests. So if you can clearly kind of predict where those carries are going to go, uh, I, I like picking up as many of these guys as you can. And it, it's going to probably be, have you found that in some leagues it is hard to go get and just buy Chase Edmonds without having to pay a little bit more than you want? Like sometimes it's hard to get these guys because other people have the same strategy in your yeah. leagues. Yeah, yeah, I think I think in the, the few leagues I'm in, uh, I'm probably not in as many as you, Scott. I know you're in quite a, quite a few, but um, I know in the leagues I'm in, it, the, the owners do tend to sort of hold on to that hope that Kenyon Drake's maybe not a thing and that he's going to get chance this offseason but um, I think I think he's something you can definitely take at the right price and um, I'd say now's probably the time to buy him rather than wait because if he gets a shot his, his price is going to go up massively. Yeah I mean and if you can't get him uh, I think there are a couple of other guys out there like Brian Hill on the Falcons is one. Um, another one that that comes to mind is Mike Boone on the uh, on the Vikings is another yeah. one you could maybe pick up uh, and then one that's kind of been forgotten that I've seen on some waiver wires is uh, Lamar Miller. He's still oh, hanging yeah. out there. And, you know, you might look at him and say that is like the least sexy pickup that I had ever put on my dynasty roster. But, you know, Lamar Miller is only going to be 29 years old. He is very impressive, not to go off tangent, but very impressive how he came into the league as essentially a an undersized satellite back that never got 
an appreciable workload in Miami. And there might've been a reason for that, but he really transformed his body into being, you know, now he looks like a guy that if he's healthy from his ACL injury, he could be more like the, the Benny Snell where he goes in there and takes a lot of early down work. So it's almost like he's a little bit of a better version of like Carlos Hyde, where wherever he lands, he's always going to be the next man up for any given week. You know, he's reliable. I almost think he could be like the new Frank Gore. Oh, he hangs around for like four or five more years and you're never going to really want him for fantasy. But again, the idea here is just collecting these guys. You know, I'm, I'm trying to take probably 30 to 40% of my roster spots this year on running backs. Yeah. If any of these guys hit, even if I can't trade them, you know, there's always going to be the option to trade, you know, a Royce Freeman if he's in line for work for a couple weeks. But you may, you may just want to hold on to as many as you can because those startable running back weeks, I think this year are going to be big with how many impacts we could have from a week to week basis. Yeah. I think you make two great points. The, the first one on, on running backs that you're rostering a lot of these, I think even though they'll be uh, fresher with sort of lack of lack of preseason work, they're probably going to be rusty as well, which means they're likely to maybe get a few more bumps and bruises and take a little bit longer recovery time um, and missing games. And then the second point you made about Lamar Miller, I really like that, and I'm going to look on my uh, dynasty leagues and see if I can get him added to uh, my roster before this pod drops on Thursday. So uh, appreciate that tip, Scott, and I'll be uh, I'll be looking on those waywise to get the early. Uh, early scoop on that guy so i really appreciate that um sure. what what's your thoughts on the uh this is a, a sort of a game theory question really about potentially taking running back every time you're in a rookie draft whether it be first rounder or a bit later on in the draft just so that you're always filling up that that tank as such so i think this is a great question and i i have talked about this myself as well i i think it does depend on the parameters of your league you do have to have a little bit of a deeper league to implement this strategy of rostering you know 12 to 15 running backs you know you probably have to have 30 plus roster spots or uh, 30 plus spots plus a taxi squad so a shallower league it is harder to just hold as many running backs as possible Uh, but I think another thing the, the popularity of these leagues where you only start one running back you know the flex leagues where there's a ton of flex spots Um, or the opposite, you know, any league where you start less than three receivers, I think it does devalue the receivers just enough. And it can allow you to build a team where you're doing exactly what you're saying instead of going in pain. Cause I I never, the way that the elite running backs are priced right now, I, I don't really ever think it's a great process as much as you like the players. I don't really think it's a great process to go out there and say, I'm just going to go buy Nick Chubb or Miles Sanders or yeah. Josh Jacobs, you know, or even Jonathan Taylor, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It is very hard to go out on the market and say, I want to pay the, the sticker price for those guys. You know, yeah, it's doing stops, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you don't. It really, it's almost like if I can't get them in the draft, that's why I made such a point to say, if you can get your hands on these guys now, I mean, yes, there's a, there is a chance that, like, Cam Akers is a bust or DeAndre Swift is a bust. But if you can get their ha- your hands on these guys now, the acquisition cost is still there, especially if they don't start right away and they're not playing you know, up to the point where they can be in somebody's lineup. Uh, but I do think your, your question about just taking running backs and rookie drafts, I think that's very viable because you get a quick outcome on running backs too. You know, if you take it, – it's obviously a good idea to draft like day two or better running backs. But even if you're taking late ones, I've always said late in rookie drafts, fourth fifth round picks it can't hurt to draft like a guy like Jamichael Hasty on San Francisco it, yeah 
best part is you're going to know what he is probably right away. Very rarely does a running back not make the team, go on the practice squad, sit for a year or two, and then all of a sudden emerge into like even like a Chase Edmonds. You know what I mean? Like yeah, normally yeah. those guys command the backup job right away. And if they don't even make the three deep or they don't ever get called up during the season, probably safe to just say, I'm going to let that player go free up the roster spot and go elsewhere. So it does make sense that, you know, unless there's just a, a player that you're just fine stashing and you get them at a good value. We'll talk a little bit about that when we get to receivers, but yeah, I like the idea of just hit running backs because you're never tempted to just hold on to them for like three or four years. You know, if they're, if they don't make the roster right away or they don't seed the backup job right away, it's probably better just to free the roster spot up and pick somebody else up. So I think that's a great process move. I like it. Welcome back to the British Balls podcast. I'm your host, Kev White here, and you can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Goat. And I'm here with Scott Connor, and we're discussing Dynasty buys for rebuilding teams. In the first half of the show, we looked at QB and running back. We'll now move on to the wide receiver position. So, Scott, do you have any thoughts on the different rebuilding wide receiver options in Dynasty? Yeah, this is a good one because, uh, you know, everyone is is kind of gaga over this 2020 wide receiver class. And, you know, something that this is maybe a bigger theme to talk about, but, uh, you know, the receivers have almost become very, they've become very saturated in Dynasty. You know, you go down the ADP list at receiver and outside of, of the couple top guys, you are having a mix of, you know, really, really high-end young guys, you know, that have surged up due to very early production like DJ Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, and then you can go yeah. all the way down. I mean, I go down, gosh, into the mid-50s. And there's guys that I, A, I think I can start, you know, week to week and get me some wide receiver two weeks, a couple wide receiver three weeks. And then there's intriguing names that go, you know, 70 or 80 deep. Uh, at wide receiver. So it's a really deep position. Uh, we just added uh, a really good rookie class. And one of the reasons that I put these, these names in there, I call them the elite age seven for the 2020 <laughs> class. You know, it's, it's the big six, the top six guys off the board, Lamb, Judy, Rager, Jefferson, Ruggs, and T Higgins, and then throw KJ Hamler in there. And the reason is all of these guys are going to play their rookie seasons at age 21. And if you just look historically at you know, receivers that hit in their first year. And I'll define the hit as being 160 PPR points, which is attainable for a receiver. You know, that's right around a mid to low wide receiver three season. Uh, yeah. It's going to be difficult for them to do, I think, in, in, in this year because there's really going to be no, no reps or practice that they get before week one. Uh, but I think they're perfect, they're perfect players to look to pivot off of a receiver that may be valued a little bit more. You know, if you have a, if you have a team that is not going to compete or you are truly rebuilding, uh, I don't think it's a bad idea to target some of these guys. It's probably going to be hard to get like Lamb or Judy, uh, but I do think you could go after somebody. I'm higher on Rugs than a lot of people. Uh, I think he's been kind of miscast as a, a boomer bust receiver that's really not going to have a, a chance to produce a lot in the NFL. I think he's maybe he might be one of those outliers that we just don't see coming. Uh, but Higgins, Hamler, Justin Jefferson, you know, I think it's a good idea to maybe hit the reset button and trade, you know, if you can trade a guy like Tyler Boyd or Devontae Parker, Tyler Lockett, 
you know, any of those guys, Robert Woods, yeah. you know, if you can flip any of those guys and kind of hit the reset button on the age, you know, worst comes to worse, you get, you get some guys that I think are going to be given a little bit of a pass this year. You know, I don't think their value is going to take too big of a hit, even if they don't produce in their rookie seasons. But if any of these guys did, the history of young receivers that are 21 that do put on a season of 160 PPR points, I use that as a benchmark, but their values will explode. So I do think you could sure. see a, a, a return as quick as year one. Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot of receivers in that tier. You know, you get into the that second, the wide receiver two, wide receiver three tier in Dynasty, and there's just a ton of guys in there that are 26, 27, 28 years old that I think are fine pivot options. Just if you truly want to rebuild and look a couple years out, I think those are those are where I would target. Yeah, I love that. I really like the idea of pivoting. Um, because like you said, it's after that first tier of wide receivers, it's a little bit like quarterback in the sense that yep. just this model of, of guys that can give you similar value. Um, obviously, some are a bit more boom-bust than others, but um, it, it's an easy way to just get get value on your on your roster. Um, I like what you said about the the strong class uh, this year. I think last last year, this year, and the future year, we've all got strong wide receiver classes. So definitely, um, wide receivers are going to be so important for these rebuilding teams. And we might not see the results straight away with the shortened off season, but there's going to be plenty of opportunity to get these young guys and the uh, elite age seven you mentioned. Um, as well um, I think as well an interesting thought process maybe with COVID and the, the shortened off season you could potentially pinch rookies on contenders at the moment and maybe yeah. that'll be a, a good way you could target to flip like you said for a um, flip, flipping a, a Boyd or a Lockett or, or someone like that and pinch these rookies on contenders because generally I don't think um I don't think many dynasty teams give up on their, their let's say round one rookie, round two rookie in year one. But mm. I'm sure you could you could sort of propose it to them, saying that look, it's a shortened off season. These rookies aren't really going to help you um, as much as a Tyler Boyd would. So let's do business. So um, yep. I do think that's a an interesting slant on it as well. Now you did mention the the seven younger rookies um, as guys you're looking to target. What about the older prospects such as, um, I know before I mentioned Brian Edwards and, and Denzel Mims, would these be guys you'd actively look to get at the right price? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you have the other, there, there's a lot of receivers in this class that kind of fall into that second tier, you know, with Ruggs and with Higgins. Uh, you have Ayuk, you have Mims, you have Pittman, you have Chenault, uh, you have Brian Edwards. There's really a huge tier that goes from that late first all the way to the mid to late second round of super flex drafts. And I don't want to say that I'm off of those guys. Uh, I look at it strictly from, we can't predict what the COVID season is going to look like. I, I have a feeling there's yeah. going to be a couple of these receivers that break out, but this is such a strong class and they all have, I don't think there's a rookie this year that landed in a spot where you're like, they are absolutely going to be the one, but I think you can say a lot of them landed in spots where they could be. And it really just yeah. depends on the situation of their offense, how they're involved early on. So I can't really pinpoint which one I think is going to be the breakout. I just simply look at it and say, if I can get my hands on one of the ones, how, how is the market going to react if a 23 year old Denzel Mims, has a quote-unquote breakout 
You know, I compared Denzel Mims to Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin was a very, no very old rookie. And you look at Terry McLaurin's value. I don't think Terry McLaurin's rookie year could have gone any better. Do you, do you think it could have? I mean, I, no, I don't think he could have done any more than what he did last year. And he's, he's still wide receiver 23. And part of that is he's going to be 25 years old. So I'm not saying I don't like McLaurin. I'm looking at what is, what is his true ceiling? I think he's probably a high-end wide receiver two in Dynasty, but he's never going to catch up from that age curve perspective to put him up in the territory of Chris Godwin or DJ Moore or Juju Smith-Schuster. And I, I'm not saying either any of these guys are going to be that. But if Jalen Rager goes out this year at 21 and has a wide receiver three season, I can bet you that his value will be probably top 15 receiver next year, maybe yeah. higher. Uh, so ju I'm just looking at strictly from value. What's the market going to say if one of these 21-year-olds has an amazing rookie season? You're going to have a blue-chip asset on your hands that you can probably next year, if you don't like the guy, right? Let's say you don't like Henry Ruggs, yeah. but he goes out and puts up 200 points. You're probably going to be able to name your receiver that you get for him in next year's draft or very close to it, or you can do a two-for-one. You know, deeper leagues, you can start seven or eight receivers it might not be a bad idea to convert one of those guys if you don't really believe in them long-term into two options that are kind of in the same tier. So I'm strictly looking at it from a value standpoint. Um, a guy like Mims, he's going to be 23 when the season starts. So what does a season, if it doesn't go well for Mims, what does it look like if all of a sudden he basically takes a, a Paris Campbell or a JJ Arcega Whiteside season? Yeah. Where's his value next year? I think it has the potential to not be as insulated as some of the really young guys. No, you're making some great points there. I do love that comp between Denzel Mims and Terry McLaurin. It's it's pretty perfect, actually. I think there's slightly, slightly more competition um, with the Jets, but I can completely see it from an age point of view and a potential target point of view as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, on the running backs, you mentioned a few older guys uh, that, that could potentially contribute, people that are a bit further down the list. Uh, do you have any wide receivers that you could look to acquire on the cheap? Yeah, I put this in here for rebuilding teams. You know, I was actually talking about this last night uh, in our, uh, my, my podcast has a Patreon chat and we were going through a lot of these names that you can find outside of the top, you can call it top 50, but really it's top 60 or lower in dynasty and just names that, you know, Hey, the, the actionable advice would be, let's say you can't get one of these rookie receivers for Tyler Boyd, right? Let's say you have Tyler Boyd or you have Robert Woods and you're just, you don't really think you're going to be able to contend. And someone had come to me with a question and said, should I trade Robert Woods for what looks to be like a mid 2021 first round pick? And I think on the surface, that's a fair price, you know, especially if you're looking to kind of lower your, yeah. you mentioned it earlier, kind of lower your points a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe secure a little bit of a higher draft pick. It doesn't hurt to take the draft pick back instead of a, another player. Um, but, but I thought, you know what, why not just ask for any list of these guys that you can get as a throw in, take the first round pick and see if they'll throw in a John Ross or a Corey Davis, James Washington, you know, Robbie Anderson. There's a ton of names, E. Westbrook. And I don't really like all of these guys, like long-term, I'm not predicting that they're going to necessarily be like a dynasty asset that you want to have in two or three years. Uh, but, but you look at a guy like John Ross, Corey Davis, D.D. Westbrook. These are guys that have the potential to move, to move teams. Yeah. And, and so I'm just looking for an angle to maybe see their value rise, even if it's a fake value rise. 
you know, Corey Davis, I, I, I saw in the show sheet you put that you, you weren't a big fan of that one, but <laughs> Corey Davis probably will move teams after this year. Yeah. So even if, he, even if he's just not good and he's a bust and he's just going to linger around the league and never be relevant, the, the chance that he's on your team and he moves teams, that's the kind of player that I want to carry into the offseason as a rebuilding team because there may be somebody that says, oh, wow, you know, he signed a decent contract, you know, in this location. I'll give you a future second for him. And you never get that today. So I think it's just trying to look at get a throw, get throw in players, especially there's a ton of receivers. You can go down the ADP and I bet you, you could make your list and it might be a little different than mine. You know, you could put in there yeah. like Rashad Perryman. Um, you could put in there. Josh Reynolds is another one that comes to mind. All of these guys have a potential switch in situation uh, coming in the next year or two. So I don't mind having those potential transition guys on my roster because they're more flippable than, you know, a guy like Steven Sims, maybe. He kind of is what he is, but you know he's stuck in Washington for three more years. Hunter Renfro, the same thing. Like, they're kind of in the same tier, but I'd almost rather have the guys that maybe were, were flameouts or busts, but their yeah. situation can change. With the, the upside, market yeah. jump back up on them. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point about potentially buying these guys in a contract year and with the hope that if, if they do move to a better team, they're going to get that opportunity. And obviously, a few of those guys you mentioned have got really uh really solid draft capital which shows deep down there is that talent somewhere the guys like you know, your john ross your your Corey davis um i'll just run through a few of a few of those guys and a uh, few, few quick quick hitting points on those so james washington he, he led the steelers in yards last season um which i thought was quite shocking the way that he gets spoke yeah. about in dynasty leagues he's going as wide receiver 67 he's dirt cheap but Who's to say he won't outperform Deontay Johnson, who's going about 20, 30 spots above him? You've got John Ross. I've had a bit of an emotional roller coaster with Ross this offseason. Um, I traded for him and then I traded him away. And then I've started drafting him in some places. It's uh, I've been all over the place with John Ross, but he's a starter for the Bengals in contract year. He's got that first round draft capital. That, that talent is definitely there. And he's got a lot to prove this year. I think he could have a sneakily big season and then Corey Davis even though I'm not a, a massive fan of what he's put on the field and he's stuck behind AJ Brown now there's massive chance he moves especially with what they've paid for Derrick Henry and the, the probable emergence of Jonu Smith it, it probably will take away um, the targets from Corey Davis so imagine if he rocks up somewhere as, as a start as you, I mean what you're paying for him now you're just going to get so much more than what you're paying for him. So um, I do really like what you said there with those those various guys. Um, do you just about Corey Davis? Do you think he does need to leave Tennessee to be a success, or could he could he stay and get a, a second win from somewhere? Yeah, you know, I think this this is kind of the same narrative that we've heard on AJ Brown last year, and what we what I've even heard on Johnu Smith this year is it it's the offense that is hurting the value of these guys. We were in a, um, a high stakes draft the other night and uh, the guy took to Corey Davis in the very last round. And, you know, we kind of were uh, kind of looking at that pick on, eh, I don't know how, I don't know about that. And it's not a high passing volume offense, you know, probably going to be the third option. If you believe in John U. Smith, at least that's what the ADP says. He's going to be the third option in the offense. But then you really think about it and you say, you know, why is Corey Davis being being disrespected for you know what he is right now at his current value 
and it honestly just has to do with the situation. We don't like the situation, especially if you're the third or fourth option in that situation. You don't see a path where he's going to be somebody yeah. that you can use. But even so, you know, and he's dealt with, I think the thing to, to think about with Corey Davis is he's dealt with a roller coaster of things that have happened, right? You mentioned earlier with Mariota. Mariota dealt with four different offensive coordinators in Tennessee. Corey Davis has dealt with the same thing. Yeah. Uh, A.J. Brown came in, and I'm not at all comparing A.J. Brown to Corey Davis, but A.J. Brown basically just came in and took Corey Davis's lunch last year. He basically said, I'm the alpha receiver there, and he did exactly what we were hoping for Corey Davis would do. But regardless, like Corey Davis hasn't been a terrible player. He's been terrible in the minds of dynasty owners because yeah. they had to pick him so high. So it's, it's the level of bust has been so high that the value disrespect has now gone to an extreme level. I mean, he's averaged almost nine PPR points per game in his career. And that's been on very, very low volume offenses. So I'm not saying he's a breakout of, of any, any capacity, but you know, if he lands in a situation next year where it is a higher volume pass offense, I don't see why he can't be a number three option on a team that can yeah. still give you, you know, some wide receiver two or wide receiver three weeks. What we talked about earlier with the wide receiver tiers being so bundled, bundled together, I just don't see a way where he either A, gains value, or B, falls in a situation to where he is like, you know, another – I'm comparing him to just guys that are a little bit higher, like another Sterling Shepard or someone that can give you, you know, 800 yards in a season, 55, 60 catches and five or six touchdowns. Like I don't, and that can be usable in deeper leagues. So really it's just a, it's a value buy. I think he definitely has to leave Tennessee, but the good news is I don't see any way that they keep him. So I think there's pretty good chance that he's going to be elsewhere next year. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point on Corey Davis. And I, I think um, one part of a, a bit of a theory part on this with Corey Davis is if, if you think that this season he's he's not going to perform um, and he's going to be moved next off-season in free agency, you could potentially be brave with it and sort of hold out for half a season and maybe then try and trade, it, trade for him then rather than now and you'll probably get an even better price than he can now. Uh, the the downside is obviously if Corey Davis does have that um, that similar breakout to Devonte Parker like he did in his last season or whatever, then um, this price could go up. But I think if you don't really believe in Corey Davis, leave it half season and go and get him then because his price will be dirt cheap. Well, and you know one thing to think about is he is one of the few players that is being drafted in that range uh, right now. He's wide receiver sixty six. The one good thing about Corey Davis, we talked about it earlier. You know, what if AJ Brown gets COVID and he's out for a month? Like, yeah. like Corey Davis is clearly going to be a receiver that is out on the field for 90 plus percent of the snaps, which is not the case for a lot of these other players in the same tier. You know, you, I, I'm a Bengals fan. I love John Ross, but there is a non-zero chance that, you know, he might only be out there for 60, 70% of the snaps because they do have a couple other good receivers that they could end up giving some time True. for him. So I, I do think he's he's a bad number two receiver because of the offense. But from a process standpoint, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a couple weeks th this year where Corey Davis gets eight to ten targets. The problem is if there's the full complement of weapons, you know, like like you said with Derrick Henry, Johnny Smith, A.J. Brown, he's never going to be a desirable receiver you want to play when those guys are all there. But he is, you know, one given week, if two of those guys are out, 
he could be a guy that you could lean on for some volume. So I do think there's some path to some relevance for 2020. It's just not going to be at all consistent. Yeah, I know Corey Davis has flashed a few times as well in his career. Most notably yes. to me was, as an Eagles fan, he once had a pretty big game against us a couple of years back. And also um, big games against the, the Patriots usually, which is quite... Quite funny, I, had a, I don't know if it was one or two touchdowns in the playoffs against him a few years back, but mm-hmm. um, he's, he's definitely flashed at certain spots in his career. So I'm going to give you my wide receiver now for rebuilding teams. And the, this guy is probably a little bit more pricey than some of the guys that's been mentioned, like the uh, the John Rosses, the Corey Davis, etc. But I, I believe that rebuilding teams should be going hard after Nikhil Harry. So I think it's even more apparent when he's on a contender. Um, if he's managed to be on a, a team that would outperform last season and is contending this season, I think you could probably flip him for a veteran like T.Y. Hilton. I think there's a lot of uncertainty with Harry with the, the changing QB and that it was so disappointing as a rookie. But what we have to remember is it was the wide receiver one in, in rookie drafts. It was a lost season, but he's still only 22 years old and you're getting him at a pretty decent discount from where you would have paid for him in his rookie drafts. I do think he has the profile of an alpha on the uh, on the Patriots with Edelman gone in the near future. Um, Edelman actually might not be a great fit with Cam Newton. I think he is volume dependent. I'm not sure how much will be there. But also on the Patriots, there's no tight end of consequence. So I can see a clear projection over two to three years where Harry is the main man in the future. Now, even if you can't get on board with Harry as a player, it's it's more of a theory that sophomore wide receivers are ideal for building teams, uh, for rebuilding teams. So first of all, I'll just come to you about Nikhil Harry. What are your thoughts on him? I like the call. I think he fits. If you look at him side by side and ignore what happened last year, because, you know, he was hurt and he started the season injured. So, can you really take last year and hold it truly against him? Uh, you can debate that, yes or no. But I think you mentioned this perfectly earlier. You put Harry side-by-side side with Mims, Pittman, Chenault, Brian Edwards. He really kind of falls in that same, you know, that same range of uh, he's going to be a year older, so he doesn't have the, you know, the age 21 thing that I talked about earlier because he's yeah. already played a season. But I think you can fairly throw him in the in the range of those guys, and you know he's not necessarily going to have the same learning curve that those guys might. You know he's been through a season already. He's staying with the same team. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a different quarterback, uh, going to look like a totally different offense. Yeah. But but I think it'd be fair to compare him to those guys, and I would assume you prefer you would prefer Harry to Pittman, Mims, Chenault, Edwards. Uh, even maybe Higgins or, you know, I talked about the younger guys, but I would assume you would prefer Harry to those guys still, yes? I think, it, yeah, I'd I'd say it's very close. Uh, a few of those guys I really like, but um, I guess thinking of the projection of the longer term, yeah, that if, if Harry hits, I feel his ceiling's a lot higher than those guys you mentioned. Yeah. Well, and I think you mentioned it too, that if he hits – what is the dynasty community going to do if he hits because <laughs> because of where he was last year, I think his potential rise in value if he hits is higher than yeah. a Mims or a pit. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah, if yeah. he hits and goes out and, and posts a top 24 season this year, 
people are going to remember and go, oh, this is the guy that we took in the top two or top three of the 2019 draft. So we need to move him back up because he's clearly a stud and the year, the first year is one that we can throw out. So I like that. You know, I, I kind of like to default to the, the, the names that have already had buzz and reinvest in them at the right price, because if it happens, I think that buzz will come right back. So I kind of like that angle of, of going and getting hairy over some of those other players for that same reason. I want to ask you this, because this is something I was thinking about the other day from a process standpoint. Yeah. I think it's very hard to, and I, I, I tried to do this when I was on the clock in a lot of rookie drafts this year, because, you know, you get to that point after Lamb and Judy and Rager and Jefferson are off the board, right? And yeah. you had, you know, Pittman, Higgins, Mims, Chenault, and then Ayuk. You know, you had this big range in rugs. You had this big tier of receivers there. And I was trying to actually flip a lot of those picks for future first, just because I think I'm getting a little more equity by, by resetting on the first because I'm picking yeah. from a pool of a ton of receivers. And you, throw, you can throw Harry right in that same range. I find that if you go to the owner that has Harry, it's very difficult to say, hey, what do you want for him and, and be able to get him for less than a future first. Yeah, you know, be, I agree And I really don't want to pay first for the, those receivers because there's so many of them that it, it's supply and demand, right? There's only 12 first-round picks in the future and there's yeah. probably 30 or 40 receivers that are in that range so I would want to have the more scarce asset uh, and just be a little more protected on that side so have you found what's the best way to get Harry because I don't think you can go to the owner and say I'll give you a second they're not going to take that do you think it is to trade a, a veteran receiver that's maybe a little higher in value and then try to get Harry plus and just bank that, that he bumps up and you know takes a step up and then you get a value win in that yeah I think on a on a team that's content, you can probably do something like I mentioned with like a T.Y. Hilton. I think on somebody that's rebuilding, you probably have to be a little bit more savvy, a bit more smart with it. And maybe, yeah, maybe your target is Harry, but you you dress it up as something else and maybe approach for I don't know a quarterback. Um, and and maybe you'll you'll swap you'll flip a quarterback of similar value. And you'll flip wide receivers of a similar value, for example, but the owner doesn't realize that that's what you're doing. Um, I think it's kind of a, a tricky way to sort of get what you want without actually giving away the uh, the plan as such. Because I do think sometimes in trade negotiations, if you go right in and say, I want this guy, straight away the price moves up. Yes, so yes. You, you kind of got to, and it depends on your league mates. I do, I do really uh, believe that talking to league mates uh, as many of them as you can will really help because you'll understand what sort of what they're looking for and what what sort of what ticks their boxes such but I do think that sometimes you have to be a little bit a little bit smarter with it and uh, sort of not give away your plan too much (laughs) well and I think you can also maybe identify some receivers that would still be appealing to a rebuild team uh, I'll pick out two that are clearly more valuable than Harry, but I don't really trust their their value curve going forward. Uh, I already mentioned Terry McLaurin earlier. Uh, Debo Samuel is another one where if you truly look at it and you say Debo Samuel versus Nikhil Harry on paper, the only reason Debo Samuel is valued higher is because we saw something from him last year. That's yeah. it. Nothing in his profile is stronger than Harry. He's two years older than Harry. 
Yeah. So really everything in his value versus Harry's is completely made up from what we saw in like 10 games last year from Debo. And that is it. So I think you could maybe find some guys and, and you don't want to target a rebuilding team with a 27-year-old Devontae Parker or a 29-year-old Adam Thielen or 28-year-old Robert Woods. Yeah. Those, that, that owner's probably not going to look at that player the same. But if they look at, you know, oh, 24-year-old Terry McLaurin, 24-year-old Debo Samuel, they may think they're actually buying less risk because they're giving up the risky guy that they're not sure of. But, man, I, I look from a year from now, I certainly could see – I would actually bet that a year from now, Nikhil Harry will be more valuable than Debo Samuel straight up. So if, so if you can even get anything on top, uh, process-wise, I think you're making a great win, move for yeah. your, your rebuilding team because you get the younger player, the better profile, and big deal next year. Let's say they have the same value. You probably still would rather have Harry if you can get, you know, like a third-round pick thrown in or something like that. And you could probably get even more with a guy like McLaurin. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that – you highlighted Debo as a player that's probably at his ceiling already. So um, I guess with Harry, he's sort of he, he's got everything ahead of him. So you can sort of see the curve sort of going the other way. And you, you're absolutely right. If, if in a year's time, Harry's even just a little bit behind Debo, it'll still feel like a win for you because you've got an asset that has got an underlying um, deeper value with the talent, uh, the draft capital, etc. And um, in a rebuilding team, it doesn't necessarily have to be this season that you win. It's it's more year two, year three. So I, I do love that. Um, speaking of Debo, obviously he's a and Harry, they're both sophomore wide receivers. Uh, do you have any more favorite targets of sophomore wide receivers? You know the the sophomore wide receiver class is just fascinating because it it was essentially the haves and the have nots. You know what I mean? Like you, you have yeah. the the haves of all the guys that hit and. You know, I've talked about McLaurin and Debo being, you know, two guys that I'm, I'm probably willing to cash out on if I have them. And then you have, uh, you mentioned this perfectly, that I, I would be interested in buying like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Paris Campbell, just yeah. those two specifically. But the problem is, as soon as you go to that owner and you ask, the price is going to be more than you're comfortable paying. You're really not paying, you're not buying low. And I'm not convicted enough on either of those guys to say, well, everything just went wrong for them last year. They're, you know, they're sure to hit, I'm going to make a profit on this player. So it's really hard to go buy one of those guys unless you get them as a throw in. So if I'm picking, you know, somebody that I just truly think is undervalued, uh, I would put two names down there. I, I do think that Marquise Brown is undervalued. Um, yeah, yeah. His value is being suppressed. I think a little bit, the same thing that uh, we talked about with Corey Davis. Yeah. I think the volume in the offense is just, is just suppressing his value just enough to where, you know, even if he only gets 110 targets at the highest, and you know, in a, in a given season, I think what he can do with those targets, it, I, I think there's a chance Lamar Jackson kind of becomes like a Russell Wilson in the future where his 500 pass attempts at the ceiling is going to be worth a lot more in that offense uh, versus what 575 would be in another offense. Yeah. yeah. So, no, 100 Marquise Brown targets could be worth 125 Josh Allen targets or something like that. So, you know, getting Marquise Brown now, I think there's a, a really good chance that, you know, he, especially week to week, he gives you some spikes that can not only help you win now, but I think his value can go up. Uh, and then another one that is kind of a little bit under the radar, um, but I, I actually think that I could see 
and I'm not a believer in this player. Uh, but for the same reason, I could see Nicole Hardman going up in value too. He's going to yeah. probably need an injury. Um, but even if you don't believe in him, we, we talked about this year about how Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson were going to leave town. And I'm actually glad they didn't leave town um, because I think it creates extreme value for the Chiefs. I mean, that, that offense is just going to be lethal. They have yeah. literally everything coming. They add Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and they bring back 100% of what their receiving core looked like last year. So they're going to be a team that just doesn't miss a beat. So I want to have as many pieces of that offense as I can. Uh, but I can see a big value spike for Hardman coming next year, especially if he starts off slow. Uh, and then you can sell him if you don't believe in him. You could probably sell him for a first next year if Hawkins and Robinson leave town. Yeah, I think it, you've you spot on with the Chiefs. I think it's it's set up that Mahomes is going to have a potential five thousand yard season. Um, I, I truly believe that he's going to f- throw it all over this year and lead the NFL in in passing yards. And uh, the bit on Marquise Brown again, it, this is another guy a little bit like Ross, where I've sort of flip flopped a little bit on my thoughts of him, but I can totally get on board with it for two main reasons. The first is. Provided Antonio Brown doesn't end up there, <laughs> I think he's gonna he's gonna see a, an increase because he was playing last year injured. And then the second thing is everything that's going on in the world of COVID. There's been a lot of talk about Mark Andrews being a, a diagnosed diabetic, and that um, if if there was going to be any big name player to sit out the season, it'd be someone with an underlying issue like Mark Andrews. So I'm not saying he will. But there is always that um, that little nugget to keep in the back of your mind that that's potentially gonna uh, could, could potentially happen depending on how the season goes. So um, yeah, could get on board both of those. Okay, so we're now moving on to rebuilding tight end options, uh, and I know this is a this is a very interesting uh, topic. I know it's one of our favourites on the show sheet so far. Yes. The tight ends, uh, the tight end landscape, here's what I'll say. Uh, the tight end landscape to me is just fascinating. I don't think there's a lot of talk about it. And one thing that just in, in this dynasty community, I like the tight end position because I think it is the one position, and I'm not saying that I do because I, I really don't. I think it is the one position that no matter how long you've played dynasty, how much you've dug into either analytics or film or both, I, I think this is the one position where – quite frankly, really nobody really knows what's what at the tight end position. Trying to predict, you know, who's going to be the next value riser or who's going to be the next tight end that comes out of nowhere and has a big season as a rookie uh, or even just hits the the rookie thresholds. I'll go over that in just a second. But, you know, I think tight end is all over the place. Uh, so if I'm rebuilding, you know, I still look at a guy like David Njoku and yes. he, he, he gets hated on. This is kind of a theme of what I've talked about in this show is by players that are in situations where that is why the situation is driving his value down. If he was on another team, even if he had done what he did the last three years and he had, you know, he did have a tight end nine finish in 2019 or 2018, but ignore all of that. If he was in a different situation where you could project him to get any sort of appreciable volume, you know, let's say he was in Green Bay in place of Jay Sternberger. Would he really be tight end 27 in Dynasty, or would he be more like tight end 15 to 20? Just just yeah. changing teams. That's it. If you could project him for any amount of targets in 2020, his value would be higher, regardless of what he did in his first three years. Um, so I look at that and just say tight end 27 is where he's currently valued. He's a player that's harder to buy than that price. Certainly you're not going to go and buy him from the owner because the person that has him is probably the guy that either's had him for the whole time or has acquired yeah. him already cheap 
and doesn't want to give up on him until he hits free agency. But it's a two-prong approach. One, he's probably going to be gone after this year. I know they picked up his fifth-year option, uh, but I could see a situation where they end up trading him. Uh, he's already talked about how he wants to be traded, so I think there's a non-zero chance that he's gone after this year. Yeah. Uh, but the second thing is uh, the usage tree in Cleveland. It's basically Landry, Beckham, Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb, and then Austin Hooper in there as well. So, I mean, they're one or two injuries away – and he could be a guy that gives you some weeks that you can play. And I think he's not being valued as an option for 2020. He's being valued simply because he's a guy that's going to move teams. So I think there's a, a two-prong approach. You may get a bonus of being able to use him at times uh, in 2020 as well. So I, I think he's the biggest buy. And his profile, you know, if you put him in this rookie class, just this rookie class alone, he's oh, only yeah. like nine months older than Adam Troutman. And yeah. if you threw him in this rookie class, I think he'd probably be tight in one by a long shot. So yeah. I, I just kind of compare those two and, you know, see where you can get for him. But, yeah, he's the biggest buy for me in, in Dynasty right now. Yeah, easily the tight end one in this class for me as well. I think um, I think with Njoku, you know, that he's going to be moving in a year's time um, or maybe even sooner with a trade, uh, depending on what happens. So, you know, his value is going to go up if you can get him now. I'm fully on board with that. You might have to slightly overpay a little bit but I'd be really confident that he's a starter next season and thinking about sort of some of the teams out there New England makes a lot of sense Uh, I think if you end up there then wow he'd be probably taken as a tight end one uh, in in redrafts next season so um, so yeah we'll uh, we'll move on to your second tight end that you'd uh, look to target in a rebuild yeah, my second one, uh, I even see on the show sheet that you were uh, a fan of this guy as well. And it's Albert Okwabainam. Nice. <laughs> uh, I, you try to say that like five times in a row, you'll say it five different ways. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Albert O, you look at, you said it perfectly on the show sheet to my uh, my comment about him was he's he's just simply been buried because of his landing spot. And yeah, I don't look at tight ends for their landing spots necessarily, especially guys that are not first round picks. I really don't even look for anything in the first two years with a guy like him. So how much is landing spot really impacting him? Yes, it's going to hold him down probably from getting on the field a lot in his first year. But really, I'm ignoring the landing spot for the first couple years anyway, which is going to take up at least half of his rookie contract. So I just look at purely profile and look at just simply his athletic profile alone. And I know the 40-yard dashes and everything, but two things with him is draft capital. It doesn't matter as much outside the first round. We've yeah. seen tight ends hit from all over the place. You know, Mark Andrews oh. was a third round pick. We've seen some guys, Chris Herndon was a fourth round pick. I mean, we've seen players hit from all over the place, any, yeah. any round outside of the first. So I don't really look and say, well, he was a fourth round pick. He has a less chance of hitting, uh, you know, than like the Patriots tight ends, for instance, because they were drafted. Yeah. High. yeah. Um, the second thing is just his athletic profile, 99th percentile 40-yard dash. Only three players have run faster 40s in the last 20 years. Wow. And Evan Ingram, uh, Vernon Davis, and I'm, I'm blanking on the third one. But they were all – my point with him is I wrote an article for him on DLF that has all of this, um, the rookie profile summer series on, on Albert O. Yeah. I think there's a very good chance that he is a tight end that sticks in the NFL because of his traits. and that's it. I'm willing to bank on that. I'm willing, if I can put him on a deeper roster and just kind of sit things out for a couple years, uh, I'm willing to bank on that, that he ends up being 
somebody that's at least a second contract chance, you know, like Njoku. But, you know, if he does anything in his first few years, you know, how, how do we know that he doesn't end up better than Noah Fant in two years? Yeah. That's like blasphemy to a lot of dynasty people. <laughs> like, there's no way he can be better than Noah Fant. But, you know, just I think he's a long play. He's a play that you can buy now. Um, I've got him on waivers in a couple leagues, uh, but I would take him in the fourth round of a, a rookie draft, or I'm sure you can probably, there's going to be points in the next two years where you can trade for him where he's just been forgotten. So yeah, I really like him as just an investment piece. Don't even worry about the first two years, which means I really don't worry about landing spot. Yeah. You make a fantastic point about the landing spot for a tight end out. It doesn't really matter because you're not really expecting them to contribute to your fantasy team until year three and by then a great landing spot could be a really poor landing spot. And I think probably thinking back um, to previous drafts, I think as a community tend to overvalue landing spots a little bit. I know the the one that's coming to mind is AJ Brown. I think he was moved down a lot of boards after a landing spot. So especially at tight end where they're not really coming into their own for a couple of years, that's a great shout on that. And Albert O was the tight end one for me in this class as well, based on, um, the athleticism being one of the key trades you look for in a in a tight end. Um, so I'd be fully on board with that. And yeah, I don't particularly like the landing spot behind Noah Fant, but like he said, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with, with Fant? He, uh, he flashed well as a rookie, but who knows what it's going to be like in a couple of years. He might be traded or something else. You just don't know. Um, so the guy I'm going to put forward as my tight end for a rebuilding team is it's a guy we've not really spoke about before on this podcast which is quite quite interesting because um, my, my co-host Rich is a Jags fan um, and my selection is Josh, Josh Oliver. Now I think one of the biggest things for tight ends for me is uh, the athleticism. He's an 87% IL in both the 40 yard and the speed score and he's only got Tyler Eifert and James O'Shaughnessy in front of him. I think the Jags will be playing from behind a lot, which will uh, result in increased pass volume. And outside of DJ Shark, there's there's not a ton on that uh, on that roster in terms of receiving. Now Oliver only only had three catches as a rookie before he got injured, but he is a plus athlete, and I think he could contribute as early as this year. So he could break out this year. It might be next year, but either way, you're rebuilding. You don't really need it straight away. Um, I also like the idea of rostering back up to elite tight ends, guys like Ross Dwelly, uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, Caden Smith. So um, I guess the question I'd, I'd like to ask you, Scott, is about the idea of rostering backups to elite tight ends. Is that something you could get on board with? Yeah, I love that call. I, I did a uh, I did a patron episode where I studied uh, tight end production over the last 10 years in depth, and I broke it down to – uh, points per target, points per snap, uh, targets per snap, really just tried to find, looking for some gems, basically. How do we predict who the next big elite, you know, value-busting tight end is going to be? But even more so, how do we find guys that are under the radar that could come out of nowhere and give you a little bit of value? So I, I love the call on two players that come to mind, Caden Smith and Foster Moreau. One thing yeah. that's big for me is those guys – you know, Foster Moreau, I think, was a fourth-round pick. Uh, Caden Smith was a, a seventh-round pick, I believe. And But they they got on the field as rookies. They got on the field and did something as a rookie. And to me, that is already 
ahead of the curve. You know, you've shown that a team has already trusted them to get on the field as a rookie. So I like those two guys uh, for sure to add on the back end of the roster. And I don't know if you've listened to me say this, but Ricky Seals-Jones is one of my favorite players. He, he has been, if you look at the production per snap and per target, he, he is in the top 10 over the last four years in both categories. And the argument is, he, is he good enough to get a lot of snaps or a lot of targets? And you can make the point, maybe he is or maybe he isn't. But man, if he ends up as the number two in Kansas City, I want wow. a piece of him. I'll put him on the back of a roster. And Ross Dwelly, same thing. Uh, Ross Dwelly get on the field and had a couple games last season too. So I, I love that call. I think that's, that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. Like we talk about with everyone's good for back rostering the backup running backs. Right. Yeah. But how do we know, you know, what if Kelsey were to go down for a couple games and if Ricky seals Jones falls into just five targets and 35 snaps in a game, as long as you know, he might be able to get that he's playable. And you can't say that about a lot of other tight end situations. You know, there are a lot of situations you don't even want the backup because there's not enough around them that can elevate them into having a startable week. So I, I love that call of putting those guys on teams. I think any, any early tight ends that get on the field early as rookies, even if they're not somebody that's usable, I do think that they're worth having on rosters because that's usually where the breakout tight ends come from are the ones that actually the teams trust early on. I love that. That's, that's uh that's sort of back to what my thinking was. So uh, that, that's yeah. perfect. I think, um, like you said, we saw we saw Dwelly come in and get a, a touchdown last year in, in, when Kittle was out. And Seals-Jones, even though he's, he's bounced around a bit, he's, he's in a prime spot to smash if something wants to happen to Travis Kelsey's season. And Caden Smith, again, he came in and had some big games with the uh, ever-injured Evan Engram out last season. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I guess just to close off this section on uh, rebuilding dynasty buys, um, is there any closing points you've got, any game theory on uh, any hints or tips off for rebuilding teams? Yeah, I love I love the question about game theory. I was actually, uh, I, this is very nerdy, but I was listening to, uh, there's an old podcast from about 10 years ago uh, from, from the college Yale here in the, uni- the United States. And they, uh, right. they do a game, th- it's, a, it's an entire class uh, of game theory and they put it out on podcasts and it's fascinating to listen to. And it's like 11 years old, right. um, but I've, I, I've really taken some of this quarantine time to uh, kind of refresh uh, some things from like game theory and go back to like behavioral economics and decision-making and negotiating and trying to try to find some angles in those things that can help you in dynasty. So I think just to kind of close out the rebuilding theme, I think you really just have to have like a 360 view of, of dynasty. You know, this is going to be a season where I think we can predict this season with less accuracy than ever before. Uh, There's going to be more variance and strange things that happen this year than ever. And so I, you always, all moves, I think in the next couple months with your teams have to be looked at from a a top down view, you know, looking at, yeah, where things are going to go in the next six to 12 months. How are people going to behave if this happens and try to look forward? Because if you're just trying to buy in the moment, one thing I think is going to happen this year is we're going to see players, especially if the COVID, the COVID suspensions or COVID uh, impacts hit harder than we anticipate, or there's more injuries than we anticipate because of the lack of a preseason. Yeah. I think we're going to see values all over the place during the season. Players that you would never dream of being able to get anything for right now. You know, if Mohamed Sanu goes out and has a couple wide receiver two weeks, 
all of a sudden there's going to be a team that's like, man, I need those points. I'll give you a second for him. You know, you're going to see values all over the place. I think points and consistency this year are going to be way more valuable than in the past. Uh, and there's going to be opportunities to buy players that you're going to wish you didn't do. You know, you're going to wish you had in six months after the season uh, for that. So really it's just a process over players thing. And then we'll see what happens with the season, but look at everything from a 360 view this year. Yeah, it's definitely building up to be one of the uh, one of those seasons which is going to be the most active in terms of transactions uh, mm-hmm. in your dynasty leagues and your well and and your redraft leagues as well. I guess with the the various trades that will be going on and the the wave wire pickups etc. So I think it's going to be real fun if you're in an active league. It's going to get quite uh, quite messy, <laughs> but yeah. in a good way. In a good way. So uh, that rounds out our section on uh, dynasty buys for rebuilding teams. We now come to the part of the show where we put our guest under the spotlight in the section we call NASA, which stands for, uh, it's, it's looking at players with varying levels of interest. So NASA stands for Need, Acquire, Sell and Avoid. I must admit, this is probably the best NASA section I've seen so far from any guest. Um, that's because mm-hmm. I agree with everything you've put. Um, but Without any spoilers, I'll, we'll jump straight in onto need, which is one player you would overpay for in Dynasty that you need on your team. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep these pretty short because I'm pretty convicted on all of these. Uh, the need <laughs> player is, is Jonathan Taylor, and I put down Jonathan Taylor is Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, he, he's a very easy profit even at his current price. He's running back 11. I don't think that's truly the case. Uh, he's probably more like running back 6, 7, 8, uh, just based on some recent startup data. But I mean, I still think if you say, if you're as convicted as me that he is Ezekiel Elliott, you know, where was Ezekiel Elliott's price after his first year? You could have almost gotten anybody in Dynasty for him. And so I believe that with Taylor, I would buy him for any of those guys I talked about earlier, Kamara, Cook, Chubb, Mixon, Ezekiel Elliott. I would shout out any of those players and try to get Taylor back. I would obviously ask for something back if I could. Yeah. Uh, but if really push comes to shove, I'm taking, I just took Jonathan Taylor over Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, and Joe Mixon in a startup draft. So if really held to a point where I had to make a decision, I would take him over those guys. And I think that's a little bit of a hot take. No, I love that. That's, that is a hot take, but I'm fully on board with that. Um, I was on a, a podcast uh, last week, the Dynasty Island podcast, and we spoke mm-hmm. about uh, Jonathan Taylor and I have him as my, RB4 in Dynasty Startups, um, nice. it, it, which is it's a lot higher than uh, the majority of people I speak with. Um, he was number two RB all time in my college running back model. Um, and we can easily see next year he could be taken as a top five running back uh, and potentially one overall in a couple of years. So I have not above everybody except uh, McCaffrey, Saquon and Zeke. Um I'm guessing by what you've said about taking Mo Zeke is in your top three. Well, okay. So if I had to pick, I would probably take Elliot over him only yeah. because I think I could still swap Elliot for, you know, if I had Ezekiel Elliott, I could easily swap him, I think for DeAndre Swift in a first or something yeah. like that. So I would rather make a move like that where I know I'm still getting the more valuable asset. But truthfully, I think you could put, you could put Jonathan Taylor as high as RB5. Uh, Process-wise, I would take Kamara and Elliott over him because I think I could probably get a better package of players. Maybe it wouldn't include Taylor, 
but I could get a better package of players if I wanted just to target one of the lesser rookie running backs would probably be my approach. But yeah, I mean, I don't think RB5 is is too high. And if I had to pick in a startup draft, I think I would take him right there at the RB5 slot. So, you know, it's more of a, I don't really want to pay RB3 prices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it's fair exactly what you said is next year he could be easily being drafted in that range. Perfect. So we'll move on to acquire. And this is one player you're actively looking to acquire at the right price. Yeah, that one is Ronald Jones. I've been... Yes! Uh, I, I was never a Ronald Jones fan when he came out, uh, and I have a totally different process uh, than I did during that 2018 rookie draft. I've really, really started focusing on age with running backs. I did a study earlier this year looking at uh, rookie contract production based on age and draft capital, and everything everything jumps out about Ronald Jones that he he was devalued significantly because he didn't do anything as a rookie. But I look at Ronald Jones as one of the youngest running back prospects to come into the league. And I almost look at his rookie season as like he should have been a junior in college. That, yeah. That's the age track that he was on. So holding that season against him. And then last year, you know, I put on here that he, he had an adjusted RB2 season, which technically he didn't. He was running back 25 last year. But if you look at the average number of PPR points over the last 10 years, he actually hit that threshold. He beat it by three points last season. So uh, yeah. You can call it a running back two season, even though he was technically one slot outside of it. But I just look at the comp list of players that have done what he did at an age 22 season, last season. And the comp list is really, really, really strong. Now, I know they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, I've beat this to death. Keyshawn Vaughn is older than Ronald Jones, and Ronald Jones is superior to Keyshawn Vaughn. And almost the only thing he's not superior to Keyshawn Vaughn in is that Keyshawn Vaughn is the new toy. And he's the toy that it sounds like Bruce Arians brought in because he didn't like everything that Ronald Jones did. That's the only argument for Vaughn. So I just look at the comps. If you just pull the comps, go to pro football reference and pull the comps of running backs that did what Ronald Jones did uh, as a 22 year old running back. Uh, and it's a laundry list of players that had really good careers. So I'm, I'm getting him. I only had one share going into this season. Uh, and I've been trying to buy up as many as I can because I think this is the best time to buy. He's either going to fade out entirely after this year or his value is going to go significantly up. I absolutely love this one. Um, I think the the selection of Ronald Jones, it, it it kind of explains maybe why Rich isn't on the pod today. I know he's a, he's a firm <laughs> believer that Ronald Jones is a trap play. Um, so that's maybe why he's not here. But... Um, but for me, yeah, Ronald Jones is going to be the starter in Tampa. We saw that huge improvement year one to two. Still only 22 years old, and he'll always be younger than Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, I mean, when you think about it, it's crazy that you've got a 22-year-old that's ranked higher in redraft than Dynasty. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you take away the name and you look at the facts. He's cheap, he's young, he's improving, he's a lead back, he's a potentially strong offense. Without thinking of a name, you would buy that. Um, and I actually did two polls on Twitter recently asking if you'd draft this player. And basically what I did was I did one poll describing Ronald Jones without including his name and one just asking, would you take Ronald Jones at this price? And almost it was almost a 20% difference that people would take the player without the name. So it just shows that actually name brand does affect players' values. Um I do think the community's perception of him is improving, but I do believe that you can still get him at a value. Um, what, what would you pay for Ronald Jones in a in a trade right now? 
Yeah, you know, I think the way to get Ronald Jones is exactly kind of what we've talked about earlier in this show. Is you don't go to somebody and say, hey, I want to buy Ronald Jones. Because I've found that a lot of the people that have him have a same, a same take or similar stance that we do. You know, if I yeah. came to you and said, hey, what do you want for Ronald Jones? I'll pay market price. Well, market price is probably somewhere around mid-second rounder in a super flex league. Yeah. But very rarely are people going to sell for that. The people that have already wanted out, they either got out in the off season, you know, before they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn or they got out after they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. So the, the window to buy, to buy low quote unquote is definitely not now because you're right. The, the redraft hype, that's very interesting. You mentioned the higher and redraft, the dynasty, because the redraft hype has started to affect player values. You know, that yeah. two months ago, Keyshawn Vaughn was going for an early second super flex league. And now his price has fallen probably 20% just simply because there isn't any buzz on him. You know, there is no redraft hype on, you know, a lot of these players that were rookies yeah, because yeah. we haven't heard anything on him. So the gap has, has narrowed between Vaughn and, uh, and Rojo. I think I did a poll of who's more valuable and I think it was 52 to 48. So very, right. very close. I mean, I think you could flip a coin. Um, so one, one idea is I actually drafted six Keyshawn Vaughn shares this year and I don't believe in Keyshawn Vaughn, right, yeah. but I did it. I did it because of exactly what you said earlier. Hey, if he pops off and he's the starter for Tampa, his value is going to go up. And then that's a, de- that's a guy I would definitely sell. But I've actually proposed all of my Keyshawn Vaughn for Ronald Jones straight up and just saying, hey, this is the side I'm taking. Uh, are, are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? And I've been rejected on all of those deals, interestingly <laughs> enough. Um, but I think the way to get him would be take another one of these redraft guys that's getting some buzz uh chris carson james connor david johnson uh, i put singletary and Keyshawn vaughn in there i think those are probably harder to do than it looks on paper but yeah yeah even the leonard fournette or aaron jones or Kenyon drake depending on what you can get on top of it I, I think there's a pretty good chance that you look back during the season and say hey i have i have a running back that's given me the same production and if i can get something on top of it i think that's the way to get ronald jones is to try to trade uh you know, trade a quote unquote higher valued running back and pivot down to him and get a piece on top. Brilliant. I do love that. And um, you mentioned Keyshawn Vaughn. That brings us nicely onto our next question, which is the sell. So this is one player you're actively looking to sell at the right price. Yeah. Keyshawn Vaughn. <laughs> we can just kind of keep this one short because all my thoughts are on Twitter in my past, uh, past couple months talking about Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, the problem with selling him is exactly what I just said, though. He's actually hard to sell at this point. You know, no, no, one, no one really wants to, to buy him unless you were the guy that probably took him in the draft. You know, yeah. I'm sure you've probably seen a couple people that reached on him in drafts. Those people believe in him. They already have him. The ones that maybe passed him over. And I, one thing I didn't think of with my logic is I only would take him, and I'm in a lot of leagues, like you mentioned, so I ended up with six shares, but isn't, that isn't a lot when you're in 50 leagues. Um, <laughs> but I only took him at the right price. You know, yeah. I was only taking him if he fell outside of like the top 18 to 20 picks. Right. So I picked up my shares organically. The problem is if I took him at like the 208 or 209, <laughs> everyone else in that league already passed on him. Yeah. And so his value has gone down. So I'm not going to find a lot of sellers in those same leagues that I got him at a value because other people didn't, didn't see him as a good value in drafts. So I think you just kind of got to hold him and throw him in the mix of the, to me right now, he's basically like Tony Pollard. He's like Chase Edmonds. 
you know, you're just kind of waiting to see if that situation breaks his way. And then if you don't yeah. believe in him, you can sell. So really he's harder on, on paper to sell than in theory. Um, but you know, I, he would still be a sell for me if there's ever a window this year. Yep. That's a thumbs up from me on this one as well. Um, I've been team Rojo all off season. Love it. Um, I don't actually think he's as talented as Ronald Jones. Just no, looking back isn't. at um, the recruitment at various stages, they actually came out of high school at the, the same year and Ronald Jones was taken into college as a as the RB4 of the class and Keyshawn Vaughn was the RB35 in that class. And then if we think about the respective NFL drafts, Ronald Jones went a year earlier, uh, sorry, two years earlier and was uh, pick 38, Keyshawn Vaughn pick 76. So I think there is a talent gap there. I think the off-season puts him on the back foot and I think in terms of Vaughn as his level, I think he's a replacement level change of pace guy for me. So I'm on board with that. So we'll lastly come on to your player to avoid. And this is one player you will avoid from buying in Dynasty. Yeah, and this is a player I, I haven't owned a share of. I've owned one share of over the last three years. Uh, it's Dalvin Cook. Uh, I've seen a little bit of a bounce back in people buying Dalvin Cook now that it looks like he's going to definitely come into to training camp. I mean, we'll see if he actually reports. Uh, but I, I think the new CBA makes it difficult for running backs to hold out. So I think that risk is maybe a little bit overblown. Uh, but generally, you can insert anybody into this into this criteria. If you don't like Mixon or you don't like Kamara or you don't like Aaron Jones or even the guys coming up next year like Nick Chubb, even Saquon Barkley, even though I think he's an outlier, uh, you know, kind of like McCaffrey is. Buying veteran running backs, especially year four guys, I just think is a bad process paying their their value. So you can throw anybody in there. But for Dalvin Cook especially, you know, I just I just don't see the – I don't see the ability for him to repeat what he did last year. And he's always had the, the nagging injury history. So I think if he gets a contract extension, uh, the, the value is going to bounce back a little bit on any of these guys, uh, Mixon, Kamara, Jones, Cook, they're going to see a value resurgence a little bit, just like we're going to see with Derrick Henry now that he got signed. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always avoiding, I'm always going to apt for uh, some of the younger guys, you know, clearly Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, I would buy over Dalvin Cook. Uh, and then any of the rookies from this class for sure. So I, I just think it's uh, it's bad process to buy running backs at their peak value, and I don't think he a player fits a better definition than him. That's brilliant. That um, I guess for me on Dalvin Cook, I, I completely agree. With four out of four on the NASA section, which I think is a first for me. Um, the biggest issue <laughs> for Dalvin Cook for me is that he, he fails to play sixteen games um, every season. He's missed time, and I think. If he's your number one asset, then I can't feel confident that he's going to be there when it matters at the business end of the season. He always gets drafted way before I'm willing to take him in startups as well. Um, I probably wouldn't touch him till maybe back end of round two, round three. So uh, start around three. So yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement. He's someone I'm, I'm avoiding as well. Um, the the last thing I'll just uh, reiterate on, on Dalvin Cook, actually, you, you mentioned about signing and his value will go up. I think that's really important for Cook owners to remember, not to sell him just right now if they are wanting to get the most out of him. Wait till mm -hmm. they signed his deal, and then that's when you trade him away. You don't want to be doing it on the cheap. And it's probably the flip of someone like Alexander Madison. Whereas if you believe in him long term, wait till the deal's signed and then go after him because that's when his value will drop as well. Yep. Okay, next part of the uh, guest questions is a question we've asked all off-season. Uh, it's a 
straight up pick them between Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs. Uh, which guy would you prefer? I'll keep this one very short. I, I would prefer Miles Sanders just because I think he is worth more. Uh, and that, that's basically it. I, I'm, I can buy the argument. I've heard good arguments for both sides uh, that Miles Sanders is more involved as a pass catcher. Um, and that basically if the Eagles don't add anybody to their backfield, and I don't really think it, it matters at this point, even if they were to add somebody like Devontae Freeman, I think Miles Sanders can still deliver what he's costing uh, based on almost like an Alvin Kamara type of profile. You know, I think he can deliver a yeah. mid-tier RB1 season with only 180 to 200 carries as long as he hits that, you know, 60 reception mark or something that I think he's capable of. I still think he can be very good in only, you know, 275 touches. He doesn't need to be in the 325, 350 range like a lot of the other bell cow running backs. So I would just prefer Sanders. I think you can get more for him uh, right now on the market. Uh, and I, I think there's a little bit of worries with both Josh Jacobs' injury history and his, his pass catching. I think the pass catching, I can see Jacobs settling right into like the mix and chub range where he ends up getting, you know, around 35, 40 catches a season. Uh, but I yeah. never see him exceeding that, regardless of how much they say they want to get him more involved. So just Miles Sanders, I think he's worth more. Yep, I've just been there sitting quietly, nodding my head to all of that. I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, I am an Eagles fan, so I'm a bit biased, but you, everything you said was spot on. It's about the the more explosive player, the uh, the pass catching. Uh, he doesn't need all those touches. Um, I just and like you said, he's he's worth more. So. You'd take that guy. Um, so now we come on to the the grand finale as such, the reputake. And this is a hot take um, where you would gamble your reputation on this being correct within the next 12 months or so. So um, what is your reputake, Scott? Uh, my reputake is, and people will see me posting on this, and I'm going to add a caveat to it just to make sure I cover all my bases, uh, <laughs> that, that I don't think wide receivers matter in Dynasty. And when I say that, it, it matters from a standpoint of you do have to look at your settings, you have to look at your starting lineup requirements. Uh, but I think unless you're in a league that is so shallow or requires such stringent starting lineups to where consistency is important, I really think we're at a point with receivers in Dynasty where it is the very, very few elite guys that we can pencil in for the 150 plus targets every single season. And honestly, right now I could say that that might only be two guys, you know, with Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, and they're both going to be 28 years old. Yeah. So yeah. how much longer are they going to last right now? You could argue that their situations are kind of dying in the NFL. Teams are not doing that anymore. They don't get one of these guys and say, we just need to throw them the ball 12 times a game. And that's our offense. Uh, so I think that's dying. So I think it's just created this vacuum where to where all the receivers are kind of lumped into the same boat. And you know, you can look at targets as predictions. You can look at age as predictions. But I really think those things are what driving year-to-year -year dynasty value. So it's almost like you want to – there's a threshold in every league, right? If you're in a league that starts three receivers and you can start four more flexes, there's a threshold to where the receivers matter and where they don't. Yeah. And I want to try to get just as many in that tier that I can, but I don't want to go out and, you know, in a league where I can start six or seven receivers, I don't want to give up, you know, like – Calvin Ridley and you know DK Metcalf for Devontae Adams I'd much rather just have the two I'd rather have the two that have kind of already quote-unquote hit and just collect good receivers there and then you can pivot within those you know receiver tiers you know you can pivot from Calvin Ridley to 
Jalen Rager plus or something like that. You can always make those moves within the tiers, but largely they just don't matter. And I, I think the guys that you can predict to take the next step, uh, if I had to bet on somebody, it would be DJ Moore, but that's really it. I, I can't see anybody else right now that I say is going to be the next Michael Thomas or the next Devontae Adams where the team just force feeds them targets. So it's just going to leave everybody very volatile from year to year. The ADP is going to be very fluid from – you know, the top six all the way to, you know, the top 40. So it's just getting as many good guys in that range and then playing the market uh, with all of them. So really just wide receivers don't matter when you look at it as a whole. No, that's brilliant. I love that. It's a very similar thought process to what I've had in my recent startups where I've, I've been sort of fading wide receivers. So yeah. um, I'm guessing as a general strategy about fading wide receivers, is that, um, obviously something you do and wh- when are you comfortable taking wide receivers in startups or is it all about the various values I think that's a great question because I'm actually doing a startup draft right now and uh, I, I've, I've made a lot of moves but um, I took three straight running backs to start the draft and then I traded out of rounds four five and six so right now I, I am missing out on the huge tier of receivers that is going, you know, the Odell Beckham, yeah. Amari Cooper's Calvin Ridley's CD lamb, uh, Allen Robinson. I'm missing out on all of those. And I'm going to end up with a team most likely uh, because I traded out of those round four five and fi- six picks in the startup. I'm going to be really hammering, you know, some of these wide receiver threes and wide receiver fours. And it's a league where you can start seven receivers. And so, I'm going to be totally fine just taking, you know, I'll probably end up with a team of like Tyler Lockett and Tyler Boyd, yeah. Michael Gallup, Perfect. Know, some, some of the guys we talked about earlier and, you know, I'm going to be fine with that because I may not have the elite end production, but if I can start all seven of them, I'm going to capture a lot of the spike weeks that those guys give me. And really the difference between, you know, the difference between like the Robert Woods and a guy that produces, very similar numbers is probably just the age, you know, even, uh, you know, the, the only difference between a guy like say AJ Brown and DJ Chark is yeah. just simply the hype from last year. You know, the, the true production on paper, I don't think is going to be a lot of, a lot of difference. So that's really what you're buying when you pay for those expensive guys is you're just buying a lot of hype. So we'll see how it works. Could, could be wrong. If the, <laughs> if the receiver production really starts to tear out again, uh, and the elite ones really, really, you know, kind of rise to the top and everybody else kind of falls to the wayside. Um, you know, th- but last year was a bad year for like the zero running back people because of the receiver production was very flatlined. So yeah. you were getting, I don't know if you do a lot of redraft leagues, but I mean, the teams last year, the ones that absolutely crushed it were the ones that had, you know, Christian McCaffrey, yeah. Dalvin <laughs> Cook, and then they were able to find Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, Deontay yep. Johnson. They added those guys in, you know, outside of the top 10 rounds. And those are the teams that you're sitting there going, man, I drafted, you know, Odell Beckham in the second round and you have DJ Chark, you got him in the 12th and they're, they're putting the same numbers on, on yeah. paper each week. So that, it's really just a process thing. We'll see, but I'll stake my reputation on it for this year for sure. Perfect. I love how your uh, your dynasty staff is on brand with your reputate as well. That's uh, yeah. that just shows that you're really buying into it and believe it as well. So that's that's perfect. So um, yeah, we've we've come to the end of the show. Um, we've we've looked at dynasty buys for rebuilding teams. Um, what I'm going to do now is hand you over to Scott to let uh, let you all know where you can find him and any projects he's working on. 
Yeah, well, first, Kevin, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it was a great time. Uh, really enjoyed the show sheet that you put together. Uh, very concise, and I think a lot of actionable discussion um, and advice that we talked about today. So appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, glad to be here. And you can find me at DLF, uh, Dynasty League Football. I'm a writer over there. I uh, have a weekly YouTube uh, channel that I do with uh, Shane Manila of Dynasty Trades HQ. Uh, we're actually going to release another episode uh, well, this will come out a little later, but we usually release these episodes on Fridays. Uh, we record them a little earlier and they come out on YouTube on Fridays. Uh, but that's called Mannequin Chill, and it's basically just a half-hour show uh, that we'll pick one topic. And we'll sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't, but it's really just a debate uh, over one topic. So if you like some of the stuff that you heard today about fading wide receivers or pivoting running backs, it's really just going to be one topic. Or we're going to kind of beat that topic to death for about 30 minutes on that show. Uh, and then my, my podcast is uh, Dynasty and Chill. Uh, you can find that on any podcast platform. Uh, we do have a Patreon channel that's a really, really a great community. Uh, you get a lot of access to bonus podcasts from me, uh, more theory and strategy in those shows versus the regular podcast, which is mostly just interviews. Uh, but that's patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. And then I do do a uh, high stakes uh, redraft podcast called Chasing the Helmet. I'm a pretty avid FFPC high stakes redraft player. So I do a podcast on Friday nights called Chasing the Helmet. So you can find me on all of those and then Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on the uh, on the show today, Scott. And I must admit, I, I listen to Dynasty and Chill. Um, I've, I've been a, a listener for the past couple of months. And I've got to say, I've took so much away from it in terms of the game theory side and understanding Dynasty in a lot broader context. So um, just from, from that, I'd, I'd absolutely give that a listen and uh, subscribe to that. Um, but other than that, I just really want to thank the, the listeners for, for tuning in. Um, you can follow us at British underscore Ballers. And once again, thank you to Scott for coming on today. Um, you've been an amazing guest. You've given some outstanding knowledge, some really actionable stuff that we can take away and uh, plenty of dynasty strategy to help us um, with our rebuilding team. So uh, thank you from, uh, from me, from the British Ballers. Uh, thank you for coming on, Scott, and we'll catch you soon. Ta-da!